Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is sponsored by Filecoin Foundation. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, it's Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash. I'm Zach Seward. That's Jen Sanasi, Will Foxley over there, hanging with us today. We are here to get you up to speed on the crypto news that you need to know about right now, here and now. Let's do this thing. I'm starting off. We're going to talk about Coinbase. Big old U.S. crypto exchange Coinbase is taking its statements about looking elsewhere seriously in the wake of being served a Wells notice by the SEC falling under scrutiny from the U.S. securities regulator. Coinbase is taking steps to secure some additional licensing, this time in Bermuda, potentially to roll out what would be a bit more exotic than Coinbase's traditional spot offerings, a derivatives exchange operating out of the island over there in the Atlantic. Interesting stuff. We talked about this, I think, the other day about Brian Armstrong sort of being like, well, you know what? If the U.S. is going to be like this, we're going to have to start looking elsewhere, be that the U.K. or one of the many more crypto-friendly jurisdictions around the world. Interesting stuff. Interesting that they landed on Bermuda, at least with this little update. Will, I'm going to toss it your way. Any initial thoughts on this one as Coinbase goes license shopping? Yeah, for sure. The first thing I thought about actually was I thought it read Bahamas when I first read the story. And I was like, oh, no, don't go there. Don't go there. Uh, yeah, Luckily, they're going to Bermuda somewhere else. First thought, though, past that, first interesting or maybe valuable thought is the fact that it's derivatives exchange versus like the spot exchange that are typically operating within the U.S. So Coinbase has a lot of different arms for its business, but mostly if you're using Coinbase, you're probably buying spot Bitcoin or spot some other token or selling spot. It's a smaller market. Derivatives markets like dwarf every other side type of market out there because you are able to have more volume. You have a lot of different products and you're basically betting on where the futures of these prices are going to go. Coinbase doesn't really operate that, to my knowledge, in the U.S. because it's really hard. The only product that really had that available was Kraken for a while, and the SEC and some other regulators told them to stamp that out. So there's not really like a great crypto product for derivatives in the U.S. at the moment. Uh, that's why a lot of these companies do go offshore. I want to bring up a tweet really quick, which I thought sort of tied into this whole conversation, talking about uh, the SEC coming into Coinbase's territory. This is from a infamous crypto Twitter account, Jiba, saying, how is it even legal for the government to approve Coinbase to go public than to come back years later and say they're operating illegally? 
Brian Armstrong with a nice little quip. It's a great question. This sort of brings into context, obviously, like the whole things that are going on with the SEC and the Wells notice they issued to Coinbase. And now that Coinbase is looking internationally uh, to continue building its brand, they're not going to sit idly by. Uh, they're going to keep moving. I do stand by my comments as of yesterday. I think that a lot of this is posturing. I don't think a lot of the business lines that Coinbase runs would leave the US. But it does make sense for them to take their operating stack as it is, move it offshore, offer it to non-Americans, and operate more revenue. Jen, over to you. Yeah, I asked the same question as Jeebus as I was reading this story. I think, Will, I agree with you. It is a little bit of posturing and it's to get the attention of the right people. So, you know, earlier this week, we saw Gensler testify before Congress. I think, you know, the fact that we have Coinbase executives out here giving us play-by-plays on what's going on, talking in the media so much about what's going on, saying, if you guys don't figure this out, we're going to Bermuda, is going to eventually force these questions to be asked at another level, you know, maybe the next congressional hearing that we see Gensler testify at, people are going to reference Armstrong and ask, you know, what the SEC thinks of U.S. regulated exchanges going offshore because they just can't get clarity. They just can't get to terms with the SEC. I think that is part of the plan here. What I am curious about, though, is these island nations that are so friendly to crypto, how they are going to respond to the FTX fallout and how the exchanges and the businesses who decide to set up in these nations assure their customers that the same thing that happened with FTX isn't going to happen to them. I don't think we've really seen any movement there. And I think that the governments are going to have to start responding to show how they have learned from what's happened with FTX and why that might not happen again. But Zach, I'll toss it back to you. The Bahamas PTSD angle was definitely something that was uh, was brought to mind here. They're probably looking around like, well, we could do Bahamas, but, <laughs> but it's maybe not permanently now. tainted so, uh, by the implosion the of furniture there for cheap. <laughs> yeah, in 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 the Albany uh, complex, maybe a luxury apartment or two on the market at a discounted fire sale price. Hey, but no. It is interesting. This is obviously a global industry. There's a lot of global players jockeying for position. Some are more willing to court this industry than others. And I think we've seen this play out time and time again in the history of this nascent industry. And we're seeing it sort of renewed in the wake of some of these more stringent uh, requirements that the U.S. seems to be wanting to impose on crypto exchanges and also token issuers potentially. So this whole thing, I think we're going to see a lot of this, right? Kind of that shuffle, right? Where are people going to end up? What kind of jurisdictions are going to be that next big wave? Not necessarily Crypto Bahamas, but maybe Crypto Bermuda is in store. Or maybe it's a a push by some of those smaller jurisdictions that we've seen in the past, whether that's Malta or Hong Kong or you name it, right? The Seychelles. All these different places have different rules that suit crypto projects differently, right? There are DAO projects that want to incorporate in the Caymans as opposed to the Seychelles for various reasons and protections that are afforded to them in one country relative to the next. So crypto does have the ability to kind of play the field. And it's really interesting, I think, just to see how the geography of this placeless idea and technology plays out in real time, because it's real people with real offices, real talent that's accumulating in some of these centers, maybe less so than in other industries, but certainly enough for some smaller places to really want that action. So interesting to watch this from Coinbase, which is obviously just a huge player. Anyway, Jen, close us out. What do you got? I got nothing, you know. You got nothing. You got nothing got on nothing. this one. Yeah. Is coin, just, did coin just, react on the news? Is the stock up? What's going on here? Is there any is there any market activity? Any response from those trading this stuff? Who knows? All right. Well, let's leave it there. We'll change gears. Will you got the next one? 
Yeah, let's go over to the Netherlands, have an update on the Alex Pertsev case, which we last left this case uh, in limbo, right? Alex Pertsev is a Russian developer for Tornado Cash Privacy Protocol. He was placed in jail awaiting trial for a few different alleged crimes revolving around the laundering of Tornado Cash Ether. As of this morning, we found out that they are going to allow him to be free under house arrest with an ankle monitor until the trial occurs. Now, free, I guess it's better than a jail cell for sure, but this is still like a very frustrating case for anyone who's paying attention to the crypto uh, regulatory scheme. Zach, I'm going to throw this one over to you, get your take on it. Pretty encouraging note this morning, but still not the case that people want. Yeah, this is something that I think the crypto industry had long been attuned to, right? Like, okay, Sam Bankman-Fried is chilling at home while Alex Pertsev is sitting in a jail and he's yet to be charged, right? So I think that this is at least a step in the right direction toward the pursuit of justice, I guess, here, right? Fair and equal treatment under the state of law is something that I think had been a bit lacking on this one. So the idea that this is um, proceeding with a bit less uh, onerous restrictions on this person's freedom is probably a good thing while the courts resolve what's going to shake out here. They're alleging that this team was sort of active and complicit in the money laundering that was happening on this platform, right? This is probably less in the eyes of the court about the free speech related to writing open source code and more about, you know, token issuance and lifestyle choices by some of the founders of this platform that suggested that they may have been more involved in some of the more nefarious deeds that were taking place on Tornado Cash, as opposed to it just being a neutral privacy tool. So this may ultimately shake out poorly for these teams. But I think it is seemingly a bit more fair that this person can be, you know, quote unquote, freed and um, out of detention until this gets resolved by the courts. I don't know, Jen, I got to toss it to our resident legal expert, Jen Sanasi. Well. What do you think here? <laughs> is this, is this uh, due process being served or what do, you, what do you think? Well, you know, when I read this story, I, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's been almost a year and he's still sitting in jail. And I did immediately think like SPF is sitting at home with his flip phone. So it is nice to see that he is going to get to go home uh, to his family, see his family, and await this trial. I need to uh, celebrate the executives at Coinbase in this story. You know, Chief Legal Officer Apollo Grawl was on Twitter earlier this month, kind of breaking down what's happening in this case. I know Coinbase is supporting, I think, six people who are challenging the U.S.'s sanction against Tornado Cash. And The story reminded me of Twitter thread he published. I think it was at the beginning of, of April. And they're so good at just breaking down what's going on, why people should care, and why people need to get behind what's going on in the courts if we want to see the industry move forward. So I just think everyone should go and read that Twitter thread. I think this is good. I think I'm going to reserve my comments on this until it gets to court because Zach, Regardless of what this is actually about, regardless of if at the core of this is actual nefarious action, I think it's just going to be bad for the industry overall. Will, do you have something to add there? Yeah, I had a few thoughts here. So Pertza, for those who have not been paying attention to the case, was arrested, I believe, in last August after Tornado Cash Protocol was sanctioned by OFAC. The Dutch authorities decided that as a developer of the code base here, he was culpable in some sort of way. At least the prosecutors are alleging that. Looking at like the information we have on the ground from the prosecutors, what they are alleging seems to be changing back and forth a little bit. And now it's moved towards the fact that they're saying that they've laundered up to 500,000 ETH through the protocol. And they're saying that because Pertz have developed the code base, well, he's culpable for laundering those funds. And as we all know, those funds were often used for moving around North Korean linked Ether. 
which was then used to fund its nuclear program. So this is like a lot on the line, obviously, but from a crypto development standpoint, like this is code. This was a DAP launch on the Ethereum blockchain that could run by itself. And the only linkage between Alex Pertsev and the other people at the Tornado Cash protocol team and the Tornado Cash protocol itself was the fact that they built this code and then launched it and spun it off. But if you look at the facts on the ground and understand how these things work, it was just self-existing, right? Adapt has the ability to continue operating itself. It doesn't need any developer once the code is published on chain. So I think this will be very instructing, uh, instructful, I should say, for how laws and how lawyers and how government officials look at decentralized applications. Obviously, this is like a lot on the line here, but there's going to be like future cases that this one will sort of uh, lead into. Zach, give it to you for last thoughts. Yeah, big one got, you know, definitely got the sector up in arms, right? If open source code can be prosecuted in this respect, then that's really bad for what people are trying to make, which is just tools that people can use. Sometimes those things, those usages run afoul of uh, the current understanding of what's good and what's bad. Hey, this is Jensen Nancy from The Hash. Are you heading to Consensus? Because I am, along with the rest of The Hash crew. If you're there, you have to connect with the Filecoin community ahead of Coindesk's big event at the Filecoin Network Base from April 24th through April 26th in downtown Austin. Join Filecoin ecosystem contributors for lightning talks on Web3, gaming, developer workshops, and the latest updates on the Filecoin virtual machine. Spanning three floors packed with programming and networking opportunities, the network base hosted by Filecoin Foundation is your go-to spot for cross-chain collaboration and connection in Austin. Register today at networkbase.io forward slash Austin. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. We are going off to Europe where lawmakers in the EU voted in favor of Mika. That is the markets in crypto assets. We've been chatting about that for a few months now. Uh, the new licensing regime makes it the first major jurisdiction in the world set to introduce a comprehensive crypto law. European Parliament also voted in favor of a separate law called the Transfer of Funds Regulation, which is going to require crypto operators to identify their customers in a bid to halt money laundering. These new rules are set to take place in 2024. So next year, we could have a whole new crypto regime in the EU. Zach. What do you make of this? Is it a step in the right direction or is it too early to have such stringent rules? I mean, for most people I talk to in the regulatory space, they see this as probably like the most thoughtful approach that regulators have taken to date. They're like, okay, cool. Let's regulate the points of trust. Let's work on these centralized intermediaries. We kind of know how to fit that into what we do best. And we're going to press pause on the DeFi stuff because we haven't really figured it out all the way just yet. But then we're going to get to that down the road. And so sort of most people kind of in the regulatory, again, conversation, 
see that as an admirable approach, right? And I think a lot of people in that conversation are just looking for that clear, comprehensive, something that people can build businesses around. And at least on that sort of, again, centralized exchanges, stablecoin issuers, that aspect of the crypto economy, these are some of those clear guidelines that I think the industry has been clamoring for for a long time, right? We'll see more on DeFi. We'll see more on self-custodial aspects of the crypto space. That's a huge part, a whole nother box of snakes or worms or whatever. But like, we'll see more there to come. So far, most people seem to think that this is a step in the right direction toward, again, the clear rules that we're failing to see in the US. So again, maybe, maybe this will induce more teams to build over on that side of the pond as everything kind of is up in the air over here. But um, I don't know, I guess it's a step in the right direction, at least according to regulatory sources. So kick it to you, Will, what do you think? Yeah, I like the box of worms metaphor there. We'll, we'll stick with that one in our mind. Uh, I'm going to pull a tweet from the European commissioner, Myred McGuinness, who described the vote as a world first for crypto rules. According to the Coindesk article, he said, quote, we're protecting consumers and safeguarding financial stability and market integrity. The rules will start applying from next year. The thing that really stuck out to me in this is the fact that they're kind of starting with the custodial parts of crypto. So the exchanges, the wallets, and then the stable coins. The thing I'm interested to learn more about, and maybe it's in this bill, I don't know, it's a lot of text, I haven't read it all, but I am interested in learning more about is the self-custodial or the non-custodial. As you point out there, Zach, I think there's like a difference, uh, especially for like Ethereum and Bitcoin wallets. If we're just going to use those two categories or maybe like smart contract blockchains and Bitcoin wallets, there's going to be a difference because a lot of these smart contract based wallets, they do have extra financial services attached to them. Think of MetaMask. It takes a big chunk of money every time you make a purchase, not a big chunk, but a percentage. And that's how they make their revenue. Bitcoin wallets, for the most part, don't really do that. They're just sort of like free open software online, almost like an internet browser. And like, why do you necessarily need to get information from those people to make a license? So I think there could be some pushback on the licensing side of things. I think we could see some teams decide to shutter their business in case they just don't want to go through the licensing. I'm also interested to learn about like some of these teams that have been building wallets for a while and they truly are like a non-custodial or self-custodial model, and they don't earn any revenue, what are they going to do in a case where they have a wallet up and running? Are they going to go through the licensing regime? And is it that simple? So a lot of information to be learned with this case, at the very least. Jen, over to you. Yeah, a lot of discussion has been happening uh, in Europe as it pertains to so many corners of the industry, right? And every time there's an update, we speak about it on the show. And so now we're talking about, you know, this this like small corner, but discussions about, you know, how should miners report their energy usage have come up in previous drafts of Mika? Discussions about what should crypto businesses be publishing? I remember we spoke about there being a rule for everyone who's like issuing a token to have a business plan and a white paper published on their website. I remember us talking about companies who are issuing tokens demonstrating minimum initial capital of, I believe it was 200 million euros. And I think these are all really great discussions to have. And I wish that we saw our regulators over here having these discussions instead of just arguing back and forth over whether something is clear or not, and then issuing Wells notices and suing exchanges who are trying to seek that clarity. And so I, I tend to agree with the people who Zach are speaking to, to say this is a step in the right direction. And I think that the right discussions are being had over there. And because of that, maybe we're going to see some crypto business not only go to crypto-friendly island destinations, but maybe hop on over to Europe where it's clear on what they can and cannot do. Zach, any final thoughts on this one? I mean, the American way is just sue first, ask questions later. Let's just, ta- <laughs> just go straight. Let's just duke Not it out. Not only Let's in just crypto, fight this just everywhere. In, in the courts. Let's just do this thing. 
I don't know how you guys rule in Canada, but you know, anyway, at least down here. Anyway, I think that's a lot more friendly. You guys are friendly up there. We love Canada. At least I do. Anyway, (laughs) let's start with Jen. Jen, you got a little lighter, little lighter fare to close us out. I got a little lighter story to to finish off the hash today. Starbucks NFTs. Will, we're we're doing it for you. All right. He's smirking. He's smirking, folks. I see him smirking. He's getting ready with that sassy take. Starbucks Odyssey's second NFT drop called the Starbucks First Store Collection addressed some of the issues from its first launch in March. So you'll remember the first Starbucks launch happened early March. There's a bunch of issues. I think the website crashed, like a bunch of normal, you know, first NFT launch issues. They addressed some of those, but there were still some problems. People were confused on if they were eligible for these NFTs. Discord was flooded with screenshots and the wait times for response in Discord were upwards of 15 minutes, which I actually don't think are that bad. All said and done, the pre-sale concluded. The public sale went a little bit better and there are still some NFTs available for purchase. Will, I'm kicking this off to you. My takeaway from this story was like, wow, people are out here trying to get these Starbucks NFTs in a bear market, weathering the technical issues and joining that like digital Starbucks community. Are you surprised? It's like thousands, thousands <laughs> it, of people. It's, it's impressive. The 15 minute wait remark is pretty hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if, if anyone on this show has been in a Discord and just been like waiting around for an answer from somebody. It's, it's normally a lot longer days. than 15 minutes. It's normally days. days. If you're lucky, it's days, right? You might not get anything ever because Discord be popping. This story, I, I don't know. Zach, I might hand this to you very quickly. So just be ready. <laughs> I, I think I'm like ready. there is a place for memorabilia. Americans especially do love memorabilia. And for whatever reason, whatever like favorite chain or product they have, they get attached to it. So things like Levi Strauss jeans, people love that stuff. Think about like NFL or NBA teams. People love getting like old jerseys. It's a thing. And I guess there's a cohort of people out there who really like Starbucks and they want memorabilia from the first Starbucks that ever opened. And now this digital version of it. And you can go buy it and you can wait in a Discord line in order to purchase it. So I guess that's my take on it. Zach. Oh my, look, Jen has my the, the, the shill. She's shilling <laughs> the Starbucks Christmas cup. This is terrible. Terrible. I don't she's know. One yeah. I'm, I'm one really, of, yeah. Duh. She's one of them. She's a huge fan. She's a member of the Starbucks community. It's a community yeah. of people who just love their coffee. Yeah, we'll they get it, get it in right. like People who minutes. like bad coffee. Yeah. They get their coffee. <laughs> it takes less than five minutes for them to get their coffee. So they better well get their NFTs ASAP, folks. That's a big Ooh, that's a pillar point. of the Starbucks way. I mean, I think this is kind of interesting. Like, Jen, you kind of alluded to it, right? It's sort of like market resistant, right? These are just sort of passionate fans, someone who cares. Like, I'm already in the loyalty program. I want to do this newfangled Web3 thing. Let's go. And I think that is kind of the cool thing about NFTs is that they do have a bit of that resistance to the broader markets where people are sort of trading the crypto coins with reckless abandon or things are sort of uh, trading and trending with the rise or fall of Bitcoin. NFTs are kind of doing their own thing. And probably especially these mainstream NFTs that are less about trading, less about making a quick buck and more about just like, oh, I have this cool thing in my iPhone wallet. Like, check me out. I'm cool. So these experiments, I think there is some like early signal here, right? That people are showing up or at least people are showing up to try to game it, which is another classic crypto thing. So that there is some demand here. I think it is like maybe positive for mainstream NFTs and the fact that mainstream NFTs can be a thing, assuming that there's a large enough community of people that some slice of them are willing to take the leap into crypto and figure out this newfangled wallet is or like what the, what the drop requirements may be. So it is interesting to see like this advance. I think it is still yet to be proven whether mainstream NFTs can actually work. 
or if it's still just exceedingly niche for these big companies where it just doesn't make any sense. And I think that's maybe ultimately what this will prove. And whether or not other big brands follow will depend if Starbucks sees success, I'd say. But Will, you get, you get last word on this. Yeah, I saved my grape for last. They, they named this Stamps. And Stamps is a Bitcoin protocol thing now. So they kind of like swiped this. And maybe it was in the works for a while. But Bitcoin Stamps has been out for like a month or so. Don't come in and just like front, like run behind these guys, background them and, and take their name. I don't appreciate that. Don't like that at all. It's supposed to be like a warm community. I thought, Jed, I thought like NFT people were like the bubbly, happy people who didn't steal things from each other. Yeah, we are. Starbucks, we corporate then, I guess. <laughs> I, Will, I just want to Will's say... Will's out here, grumpy Bitcoin maxi Will, like, oh, get off. Protect oh. our stamps. Yeah. I thought you guys were supposed to be happy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Starbucks is still here. We keep talking about these big brands that got into the space a little bit late. And then we're like, this whole thing is not working out for us. This whole narrative with the regulators and the media is not working out for us. And Starbucks is still here. So I really like that. And I just have to say, I support NFTs for loyalty programs. I think it's a brilliant use case. And the people who waited 15 minutes to get these NFTs are able to collect points, collect other stamps and get these like IRL experiences that the Starbucks fans love so much. And while I have the Christmas cup, I'm not one of the people, but my sister is. She's like Mm. one of these crazy people who collects the things and goes to the experiences. And so when I see something like this, I know at least my sister will be a customer. (laughs) Send her a stamp. It should, right? I will segue us out of this show. If you found this conversation fascinating, you are going to find a lot of conversations at consensus in Austin, Texas next week. Equally fascinating. We have the team from Polygon and Starbucks NFTs are on Polygon, right? Polygon's been winning a lot of big name contracts, right? You can hear from the head of BD for North America about how they're doing that. That's one of many, many sessions at consensus that you all should check out. We'll be there. We're doing the hash an hour live show each of the three days come by i had this brilliant idea yesterday that we could just do like random interviews (laughs) with like people in the audience that's a good idea and so we're doing it we're doing it anyway yeah we'll see what happens we'll see what happens we'll see what happens (laughs) check that out we'll be down there we're heading to texas we're excited about it and we hope to see you there all right i'm zach that's jen that's will we're gonna be around for a few more seconds and then we're gonna talk to you tomorrow have a great day bye bye You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.